Hi, everyone. I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Humata. And we'd like to welcome you to episode three of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast from Association Briefings, where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. Hey, Frank, how's your uh, TikTok experimenting going? <laughs> mean- Hold on, everyone. Shameless plug coming your way. Oh my, I'm glad you asked. Um, I mean, it's mainly videos of my dog Pingo doing hilarious things or me doing reviews on everything that's going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, engagement's picking up, so I, I got a lot more planned. <laughs> Yay for all of us, right? <laughs> you know, I, I really think, though, in all seriousness, TikTok has taught a lot of us, you know, especially those of us you know, with, with kids on the platform and, you know, I don't fully grasp what draws them in and keeps them in for so long. But I think what it's taught us is that everyone and anyone can really be a creator. Anyone has the ability to tell a story through emotion or dance moves or jokes or pranks or whatever it is. You know, I think we're all seeing that just the sheer number of TikTok users and how that actually has resonated through Facebook and Instagram reels. Yeah, I would say the community is pretty strong and something associations should probably start paying attention to. Yeah. And, you know, aside from, you know, TikTok, Instagram, you know, Colby, when you go on vacation, do you do research prior and are you doing research with, you know, YouTube videos? I'm going on a trip at the end of the week and I've watched a ton of vlogs of people going to different restaurants, people going to different casinos. I'm going to Las Vegas and learning more about the, the layout of these casinos, the restaurants they're going to, and the reviews. So I've actually dictated what I'm doing on this trip based on YouTube. Oh, you bet. You know, the, the internet is our, our playground, right? I mean, all that information is just residing out there from people like you and I who are putting out our opinions, putting out our thoughts, putting out our stories. One thing we always push as a company is that every association has a story to tell, right? It, and it's really how you tell that story that grabs the attention, that builds a brand, that creates the authority. And we're big advocates on letting members tell that story. I mean, you don't need influencers. You don't need talking heads. I mean, look at your story right now about going on trips. You're listening to normal people who've experienced the same experience that you want to experience. And it's the regular members of an association that can be really the brand advocates. And that's where user-generated content really comes into play. Yeah, and why not hear from a member on why membership is valuable? It kind of gives them a chance to uh, participate instead of being a spectator with regards to the promotion of the association itself. Agreed. You know, Frank, you passed on this great article uh, from Forbes. They recently gave 15 content ideas to create customer loyalty. And we'll put that link in the show notes. But more than half of those ideas stem from user-generated content. And when you read the ideas, they all tend to have the same theme of trust. I mean, customers, or, or in this case, members, need to have a sense of trust to be loyal to our organizations, you know, to wave that flag of our association to the industry. Yeah, and you're seeing a huge push in authenticity itself. So instead of having a commercial or, you know, a white paper or some kind of uh, press release on your association, how about have someone who's in it talk about it and promote it, tell everyone why they like it? 
You're absolutely right. I mean, let's face it. The way associations acquire members today has certainly changed immensely, right? There are so many challengers to today's traditional associations. And we'll talk about those during this episode. But organizations are needing to be even more creative in the recruitment efforts to be successful. No, absolutely. So in this episode, we're talking about user-generated content which is a great way to boost association loyalty by letting your members talk about their positive experiences. So if you were to define UGC, we'd say that it's any kind of content, text, video, images, social, anything created by people, not brands. So UGC is always more authentic because it uses emotions to humanize your association's image. I mean, think of it as today's word of mouth advertising. But it's this authenticity that really allures the young professional groups, your Gen X, and I don't know, maybe even more importantly, your Gen Z prospects. So today we're joined by Joel Resnick, co-founder and chief revenue officer of Gather Voices. With over 20 years of experience with interactive media, he is now focused on supporting associations' video capabilities to increase their engagement with members. Joel loves basketball is working on perfecting as many umbrella drinks as possible, which maybe he'll share recipes with us later, <laughs> and lives in Winter Park, Florida with his wife and two children. Hey, Joel, thanks for joining us for this podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Colby. Frank, good to see you again. I am <laughs> thrilled to be here today to talk more about this amazing topic. There's obviously tens of thousands of professional and trade associations in the U.S. today. There's literally an association for just about anything which obviously makes sense since the social idea of an association has always been a part of the basic value prop of these organizations. And you join to be part of a like-minded organization with people you can relate to. So I'd, I'd really like to start here. Joel, in your opinion, why have people traditionally joined an association? That's a really good question. I'll actually take this directly back to my specific experience when I was in the video game industry and I was a part of the ESA, uh, the Entertainment Software Association. And this was something where I was progressing in my career, but I was interested in connecting with other executives, other leaders within the space who you know, had an opportunity to get together and to talk about the things that mattered to the industry. So I looked at it as like an amazing networking opportunity. I thought about it as an opportunity to help influence the direction of the industry that I was a part of. And I also realized that there were some pretty cool trips involved. <laughs> you know, there's some good locations to go and do this with, right? I didn't have to sit on my desk uh, and on a phone call and do this. I could actually have some fun doing this as well. So those are a couple of things that I think are there. At the time, continuing education wasn't something that was being offered, but I saw that later in my career with some of the other associations that I participated in. And that, I know, pays a lot uh, forward back to the members of what they're looking to be able to get out of being part of an association. So, you know, I think those are some of the key things. Actually, when I was at Redbox, another thing that I, I saw, we were a part of an association that enabled us to be a part of some advocacy that was happening. Um, and that was specifically around the credit card fees and what Dick Durbin was doing out of the out of Illinois, going to the Senate and advocating for specific limits around how much could be charged uh, by the credit card company. So I think that advocacy piece is something that 
that I learned down the road was also a big value prop because one voice may not make a big difference, but pulling people together and showcasing why there's such a need, a dire need in the specific industry to make some changes could actually move the needle and it did. So, you know, I think those are some of the key value props that I see why people are part of associations, historically speaking. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Networking, advocacy, education. I mean, that, that's why people have traditionally joined. Don't forget those great trips too. Exactly. <laughs> really good trips. A lot of fun too, right? It's okay to have fun. There's nothing wrong with that. If we can talk about them afterwards, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And let's be frank. And Colby, this will be my catchphrase. <laughs> that there are, there are certainly challengers to associations today that are you know, leading young professionals in different directions. Joel, what are some examples of these challengers and how have they changed the member acquisition process for associations? Yeah, there, there's quite a few of those out there, right? Like I keep thinking back to, I was one of the early adopters of LinkedIn, but there weren't LinkedIn groups at the time that I could be a part of. And yeah, I started using Slack, you know, six years ago, but there weren't these massive Slack groups the way that there are today, where you've got convening professionals getting together and sharing ideas. It doesn't have to be a forum within an association now to be able to do that, right? So that's mm -hmm. a challenger to some of the value props and that networking and idea sharing that you're seeing out there. You know, I think also you've got a lot of universities have started offering the professional certifications around the specific industries that people are looking to develop or to improve their capabilities, skills, and competencies. And those are things that if you go in the way back time machine, weren't as prominent as there are today. So those are just a few examples of some of the things that are applying pressure to that continuing uh, value prop that the associations are providing. I think there's a lot of pressure too when it comes to content generation. And that's really where the focus of this podcast goes. I mean, the way the members and potential members consume content has definitely changed in the past few years. I mean, we've all been trained by Netflix, Amazon, Spotify to expect this content experience that's created really just for us. So if we as association professionals want to bring in a younger generation into our organizations, what are some things we need to do to meet those expectations of these young professionals? Yeah, Colby, I, I love talking about this topic because I'm a big believer in that the things that you do outside of your work environment impact the way you act within work. And so you talk about things like Netflix and Amazon not only is it about that personalized experience of you seeing the things that matter to you, but it's also about on demand. Like, hey, I don't have to wait until Sunday at seven o'clock to watch the latest show, right? Like I can just hop on at 3 a.m. with my bag of Cheetos and start <laughs> watching whatever I want, whenever I want, right? Like that's completely changed the game from what it used to be. And I think that that behavior of having access and having things on demand absolutely translates to what somebody wants within a work environment. I, you know, continuing education is great, but I need it. And an event is great to hear from other speakers, but I need it and I want it and I want it when I want it, where I want it. So, you know, I think those are some of the things that those behavioral changes impact um, what they're experiencing in the work environment and what they're needing from an association. And I think I'll add another layer to this, and that is, Anybody entering the workforce today 
grew up with a mobile device in their hand. And that mobile device was an interactive experience, right? It wasn't just a, cons a consumption play. It wasn't just like, I'm watching a video and that's it. No, it's like, I could tell you my son growing up quickly got to making videos and sharing videos with his friends. And they're doing that on different types of social media. And they're ahead of their time against Slack by using Discord, uh, which is essentially Slack for video games, right? Like all of these things of the way that they're interacting and the way that they're sharing is absolutely impacting the workforce. And by the way, that's not going away. One of the things that I saw in my career early on in the video game industry was that you had a small percentage of people out there that were playing video games. There were you know, teenagers and, and younger kids for the most part, maybe a few adults, right? Um, living in the basement of mom's house. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the reality is if you fast forward 10 years ahead, that's no longer the case. Like everybody's playing games. It could be a slot game on your phone or Wordle or, you know, on your console or on your PC, but that world grew drastically over time. And it wasn't that all of a sudden, the technology of the content was something that changed that drastically. It was just the demographics of people growing up with it got older and their kids were continuing to do it. So you have this huge audience now of like kids to adults that are playing video games. I draw a same parallel here to what people in the workforce are experiencing and what they want to see and what they want to be involved with and that interactivity and the fact of like mobile second screen engagement. That's all stuff that over the next few years is only going to become more prominent for all of these associations, all these organizations to have to engage with. And if they don't, they're going to be left behind because somebody else is going to find a way to solve and to serve that person in the way that they're wanting to engage. So I, I think that's, those are some things that I think about on a constant basis. No, that makes sense. And, and you're right. It's not going away. I look at my, my kids right now at, at 17 and, and 15 and even 11 and you know they've never turned on a tv that they couldn't fast forward or rewind or binge watch or you know in my days we had to wait each week for the new episode to to come out and that's no longer the case and so as these kids are entering the workforce the same on demand the same uh mobile first environment that, that they've grown up with is going to be even more prevalent as they get into the workforce and, and we all have to adapt in the corporate world or surely on the, on the association side as well. Definitely. Absolutely. In our intro, we talked about the different types of user generated content and while UGC can contribute to the acquisition marketing of any association, how does video specifically help meet the expectations of potential members today, Joel? Yeah. You know, video is a, an amazing format of media. One of the stats that I love to share is that, you know, viewers retain 95% of a message when they absorb it through video, as opposed to reading it. That's just like a really big deal that can't go unspoken about or, or maybe kind of pushed to the side. Like we're, we're so used to landing on these websites or reading these emails that are super text heavy as a way to communicate. But the reality is, is like, sure, you can do that. But if you want people to retain it, the best way to do that is through a video because it, it hits so many different senses, right? It's visual, it's auditory, it's different ways of people consuming and adopting it. So that, that is really interesting. Some of the other stats around video that's super powerful is that, did you know today 
the average person is consuming 19 hours of video content per week. Wow. 19 hours, right? That's like all video content. Don't get me wrong. That's across everything, ads and what you consume at home. But that is two times the amount of video content they consumed four years ago. That, that number is increasing drastically over time. And I, I don't see that changing. I only see that increasing as right. technology makes video more accessible for different ways of using it. Because historically, it's always been you know, short 15 second, 30 second commercials or a, a acquisition plays um, or maybe content to consume. Now you're getting into you know different format video content that's driving across the funnel of awareness, consideration, and conversion. The other stats that I find interesting is like 88% of people uh, say that they've been convinced to purchase a product or a service after watching a video, right? There's a different way to communicate your message and to relate to that person when you can showcase in a video than in an image or a look and a feel of a print or text-based media format. And then the last stat that I'll throw at you, because I've got a couple of good ones here is that people are two times more likely to share a video than any other format. So I think you hear in those four key stats, some of the reasons why video is so important, right? People absorb it better. People are demanding more video because they want to consume more of it. They're convinced by what they see when they watch video content, and they're more likely to share it. Those are some of the reasons why video is super important moving forward. I think too, what, what's our uh, average attention span right now? It's, it's less than a goldfish, right? So you have to grab, grab attention and, and yeah. video is certainly the way to, to do that, right? Ted Lasso telling us to be the goldfish. I mean, I get it. <laughs> Thanks, Ted. But yeah, couldn't we have a little longer attention span to that? It sure would be nice. I'm, I'm sure every marketer in America and in the world are raising their hands saying, yes, please. <laughs> so you know, if, if you have a good understanding of user-generated content for your association, you know, there's probably a, a, a good formula for success, right? Clearly, you know, emotion is part of it. Maybe there's some type of, of theme or, or prompting that, that, that is involved here. But again, look at the success of TikTok and what causes people to be engulfed in that infinite scroll of TikTok. So, so Joel, in your opinion, what makes for good user-generated content? Well, I, I think something that's super important is that, you know, a lot of the times, and I, I hear this on a regular basis, the so organization says, hey, we want to get this message across to our audience. Um, we want them to understand this value prop. We want them to realize that there are these great things over here waiting for them. And often, historically, the way to do that has been to script out that message and to give it to somebody and then to put, you know, that camera and the mic in front of them and to go, all right, now say this thing exactly this way. And I think what's happened is that because of social media, because of people's ability just to get out there and to say what they want when they want, there's this level of trust that has shifted from I know something polished is nice and I get linking right the right words together to get the value prop out there. But the reality is I think people want to just see and hear real things like, okay, maybe they didn't say it exactly the right way, but I, I trust them. I believe it. It's my peer. They're not, they're not in the game. They're not being monetarily incentivized or some other reason why they're saying this. 
they're sharing because this is real. So I, I think something from a, a UGV perspective of user-generated content or user-generated video is that authenticity rules. And it's just a way that drives trust beyond anything an organization can do themselves. Don't get me wrong. An organization can still be trusted. It's just a different level of trust when you have a peer sharing their experience. And you know, this goes back to that outside engagement. When you're shopping on Amazon, are you listening to the commercial from the Hoover vacuum? Or are you looking at the five-star rating and the comments and the short video that somebody posted on Amazon? Or if you're getting your Uber uh, or your Lyft pickup and you see your star ratings and you're like, whoa, I need to drop that one. Like you're not, those, these are the things that you're hearing from your peers and that's influencing your decision. That's why it's so important. So I, I think that's a, a big deal. I think that there's other things that can be done within uh, a video and TikTok has done an amazing job of like finding ways to keep that attention on short format content. They pull in some great music. They give some suggestions on like things to do or for formulas for people to follow, like these different dance moves that people try to recreate and replicate. And next thing you know, you're watching like 20 different people doing the same thing, but it's coming from that peer. I think that's at the end of the game. Like that's the root thing that's so important and so valuable about some of that content. I think it's that authenticity as opposed to the big influencers that you think can promote your your brand. It's it's really, you know, from an association standpoint, it's the members talking about why they join or how they're successful or anything like that. Yeah. And, you know, Colby, one of the things that I found to be really rewarding is that um, some of the clients that we have that are doing these things today, uh, they'll get some video content back and they're like, oh my God, the way they said that was gold. Like I couldn't have scripted that. I couldn't have suggested that. And they couldn't have delivered it with if I would have tried to suggest that thing. So, you know, there are some amazing stories. There's some amazing experiences out there. And if you just give people the platform, you may be completely floored and surprised by what they say and how they say it and how authentic and how meaningful and how influential that could be. And they don't have to have tens of thousands of followers to be impactful. They can just be themselves. And, and, and that can resonate with somebody that feels the same way or, or sees themselves in this person and hears themselves in that person that can influence them to kind of make that decision or move forward or be a part of something that they may not have done before. And there's definitely some power to video and specifically you know, LinkedIn in my experience, Joel, you and I were on a webinar not too long ago, and yeah. I just had a, a static post promoting it. And then the next week I had a, a video post promoting it and the engagement levels were just through the roof for that one instead. So uh, there's definitely a, a lot of value to that. And, you know, I want to touch up on all the hundreds of dance videos Kobe's made on TikTok later, <laughs> but uh, let's just jump into a, another question, Joel. How does an association get started with user-generated content stemming from video and are we talking a huge investment here i i definitely need to follow colby on tiktok i didn't even know that was <laughs> out there but i'm i'm in and i will report back what i find as well um it, you're you all know, gonna be very disappointed by the way <laughs> <laughs> well i'll tell you you know 
user generated video can sound overwhelming. It can sound challenging. You know, there's so many unique challenges with video content historically. I think most organizations are used to spending what a thousand to seven thousand dollars per finished minute of video. It can take six to eight weeks to produce it. It could require a lot of resources to do it. And this is where you know, activating users to participate in making their own content can be very valuable for your organization. And, you know, we, we recommend all the time to anybody who's interested in this type of content, go get started, just do something. And the, the guidance that we provide is start from the inside out. There is an opportunity to lead by example within your association and to humanize your, your organization. And that can be your staff, that can be your board members, it can be your volunteers, it can be anybody from within, starting by making some video content to engage your audience. And that that's a great way to showcase like, hey, we're not asking you to do it and we won't ever do it. We're there with you. We're a part of this process. And when they see you doing it, it breaks down this wall of like, wait a minute, I got to be the first lemming to jump off the cliff. No, I want to be the fifth or 10th or hundredth to do that. And I'm okay to do that when that happens. So when they can see others doing it, that's super valuable. So that can start from within at your organization or um, an, an association can look to those members that you know, are the ones that are always raising their hand saying, hey, I'll be on that panel. Hey, I'll be a part of this uh, committee. Hey, I'll be involved. And they, they're the ones that are comfortable. They're extroverts. They're willing to participate. Um, maybe they're even technically savvy. Um, and those are ones that can start to make some content for your organization. And then being able to use that content in across your channels, like, great. Now that you've asked somebody to participate and to make this video, maybe it's an announcing, you know, a new initiative. Maybe it's part of the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative that your association is kicking off or being a part of, or maybe it's um, recommending attending this event that's coming up, or it's about that membership drive and why they've been a member for so long. Those are some simple ways to ask them to participate and to provide some content. And then those videos, just having them make it on their phone and actually taking that video and, and showing them like, here's a way to send it via Dropbox or they can upload it to YouTube. Those are some simple low fidelity ways to do this stuff at a low volume, nice and easy. And then the organization can you know, secure the rights to that content and then be able to start using it on their website or uh, using it in their social media campaigns. It's just a way to, to see Frank, what you got the benefit of seeing yourself. Like you did that amazing A-B test and went, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> I put a video on LinkedIn. Why am I getting so much more? It's just, it comes back to that, con that comment about uh, the stats. You know, people want more video, they remember it better, that's more influential. It's all of those things that tie together. So I implore all associations, just get started. Start from within your association and your team, or go find those core members and ask them to be a part of this initiative. And a super important piece, don't forget to tell them the why. Explain to them what this is going to do because just asking them to do it isn't enough. I, if I'm ever asked to do something, I wanna know what the impact is going to be. I wanna know where it's going to be utilized. And I wanna understand like, is why is it worth my time and effort? And I think if these associations can go back and share you're going to help us do these things because video does this, you're gonna get some great results from that.
I think associations need to realize that an investment in good video content, particularly when it comes to good user-generated video content, it isn't a one-and-done investment. I always like to think of, of the video as the hub of the marketing plan and the distribution story is the spokes in the marketing wheel. Video or a segment of that video, as you mentioned, can be distributed across email or social channels or community forums, fact sheets, you know, digital membership packets, whatever, you get the idea. So Joel, do you have a success story or two regarding UGC? Absolutely. I've got some really good ones. One of the ones that's nearest and dearest to my heart is uh, Greater MSP put on an event in Minneapolis that was for uh, the, the Society of Women Engineers. And you have all these young women in college or just entering the workforce that want to become engineers. And they came from all over the U.S. to Minneapolis um, to be a part of this conference. And it was one of the first of its kind. And they did an amazing job setting up a shop, you know, live at the event using a video kiosk to capture just the stories of why this matters to all these young women that are entering this space and what they want to accomplish. And, you know, they, they took a moment just to step back and to listen and to ask a few key prompt questions and then just let people share. And they ended up with, over the course of, I think, two days, 50 different attendees sharing their story about why they wanted to be in this space and what it means to them and why it matters. And it was amazing. This is something that they couldn't have done in the past as far as sharing and activating others to be involved because they didn't have, you know, a written quote wouldn't do the same thing as what a video could potentially do. And they compiled all this, they shared it on their site, they made an amazing blog post, they shared the content socially. They did a great job of pulling that through to all these different channels to let other young women know this is a space you can be a part of. You can feel comfortable here. You can be a part of this. You're not alone. And I just, I found that one to be super amazing. So that's one that's near and dear to my heart. And then another one that I actually, I call, I consider the gold standard of activating around an event is the non palooza event that happened uh, towards the end of last year. Terry Cardin uh, that runs this event realized the power of video and how it could impact and influence participants and attendees. And she did, I call it the gold standard because if I had it like a matrix, I would say, you know, content pre, during, and post um, is a big factor. Another three check would be that um, the content was created by people at uh, the event provider, also by sponsors and by attendees. So she got three different audiences to create content. And then the placement of it lived on, you know, social media, her website, and she pulled it into emails. So nine squares, bingo all the way, like she nailed it, right? And what was amazing is people really responded. I think uh, you all were a part of the, the daily uh, emails that were sent out during the event that used some of the content and the open rates and the click rates were higher than standard. The idea of arriving at the event and a QR code being in your room and a message from Terry welcoming you to the event was over the top and wildly different than anything I've ever seen. 
So, you know, she, she did just, again, an amazing job of hitting kind of all those touches throughout the process around an event to really leverage video to get more people in attendance, more engaged, and to just have a great experience. So those are two that I, I think of off the top of my head. Sounds like a game plan for many associations who want to enter into the UGC space. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that it's what's super interesting about Terry is she's literally a small but mighty team of a few people Mm -hmm. and she's doing everything right. So this isn't an instance where you've got this large organization with a dedicated, you know, marketing team just for events with a dedicated video team that's doing this. She was able to pull a lot of this off on her own. Uh, She did leverage gather voices to make it simpler than doing it manually. But I can tell you some of those best practices that she deployed could be done manually. And and I recommend everybody find a way to start there because I think you'll find the power video is really uh, significant and it can drive a lot of the goals and objectives that you have. Just a matter of when you want to scale and you want to do more of it, you're going to need the right tools to be able to do that. Joel, thank you. We really appreciate you being a part of today's discussion. Let's put you in the hot seat for our last segment we like to call the briefings minute. We're going to fire off a minute worth of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. So uh, just give us the first answer that comes to mind. So are are you ready? Fire away. Let's do it. Here we go. Who's your go-to Mario Kart character? Ooh, Yoshi. Nice. Magic Kingdom or Universal Studios? Universal Studios, hands down. Harry Potter Land, just after reading the books, blew my mind. They nailed it. What's the best prank you've done or was done to you? Oh, geez. Can I say that? Is it? Um... <laughs> Do we need to pass? <laughs> yeah. We did. Uh, how about this? I'll, I'll reference the summer of pranks, uh, which was my son was heading into sixth grade. And that summer, uh, I decided to teach him all the fun pranks like uh, cellophane over the toilet, oh, uh, cellophane in the doorway, and many others that if you want to chat about it, I'd be happy to share with you offline. <laughs> Deal. Fair enough. <laughs> If you were a baseball player, what would your walk-up song be? Ooh, a good one. Hell's Bells. That works. I like it. Uh, For a vacation, beach or mountains? Ooh, mountains. I just got done snowboarding for a week, and that was amazing. So I will go right back to the mountains and do some more more snowboarding. Back when it was just music videos, MTV or VH1? Oh, MTV, hands down. (laughs) Are you listening to any podcasts right now? Um, I am, hmm, I'm listening to this one. <laughs> that is the correct answer. <laughs> what a great plug. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> if you could have dinner with any current day celebrity, who would it be and where are y'all dining at? This is a good one. I know where I would dine at because uh, I think it would be convenient to most celebrities and that would be the Ivy in, in Hollywood because I might even run into some additional celebrities. <laughs> but let's go with uh, Robert De Niro. Oh, nice. So if you didn't work in the association community, what industry would you work in? Actually, I just had this conversation last week and I said, if I, if I didn't have to worry about money or uh, providing for my family, I would be a basketball coach and I would start at the very beginnings of it all and try to work my way up as far as I could take it. Well, that's our buzzer. Hey, thanks again for joining, Joel. That was fun. I like that. (laughs) Thanks to everyone for listening to the episode of Engaging in the Next. 
Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you'd like more information about association briefings, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. Joel, you want to plug Gather Voices? Yeah, and if, if you are out there and you're trying some of this user-generated video content, you're going, wow, this is it is working, but it's really hard to kind of pull off and to try to scale, please look into Gather Voices. We're a video software technology provider. We make it far simpler to get real videos real fast that drive real impact. And we'd love to talk to you more about how we can help you accomplish those goals and objectives and share some of the great examples of how our clients are doing those things. In fact, if you visit our site today, you'll be able to see over 30 plus case studies against events, membership, continuing education, and advocacy. So please feel, feel free to stop by and check us out and reach out to me directly. I'd, be, I'd love to connect with you to learn more about your needs for video content for your association. Great, thanks, Joel. Yeah, thank you all so much. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Take care, Joel. All right, you too.